If you come here, you know we, can, we continue to pray for the persecuted church, but don't just wait till Sunday to pray with us or Wednesday night. Pray for these things on your own with your family throughout the week in your own personal prayer time. Make it a part of your prayer life to be praying. Someday they could be praying for us, amen? And they, of course, they pray for us already, which is amazing. Luke chapter 10, I'm only going to cover th- uh, a couple of verses. Uh, we do have the Lord's Supper today, so I will do my best to abbreviate uh, our time in God's Word, but I don't, uh, not abbreviate the power, that belongs to the Lord, that the Lord would pour out uh, His power on the reading and teaching of His Word this morning, but we'll have a, a little shorter study as we look at just a few verses. If your Bibles are open, if you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand and we'll put one in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will put one in your hand. We'll pick up with verse 13. I'm just reading verses 13 through 6, I'm sorry, verse 17. Picking it up with verse 17, verses 17 through 20. Um, If you were with us last week, Jesus sends these 70 disciples, uh, which parallels uh, the sending of the 12 back in chapter 9. Jesus sends these 70 out, gives them this power and authority Uh, to bring not only the gospel, but also to heal and do miracles. And now we see their return, starting in verse 17, verses 17 through 20. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Father, we ask again this morning, the same power and presence of the Spirit that's been with us in worship, Lord, that you would now be with us in your word. You'd quicken it. And Lord, you'd speak to every heart. You'd strengthen us in our faith. Lord, give us what we need to grow this morning in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John Stott, he was a well-known British pastor and theologian. He was invited to preach at the University of Sydney in Australia. But after he got there, he lost his voice. He describes his experience as follows. What can you do with a missionary who has no voice? We had come the last night of this evangelistic campaign. The students had booked the big university hall. A group of students had gathered around me, and I asked them to pray as Paul did, that this thorn in the flesh might be taken from me. But we went on to pray that if it pleased God to keep me in weakness, I would rejoice in my infirmities in order that the power of Christ might rest upon me. As it turned out, I had to get within one inch of the microphone to just croak out the gospel. I was unable to use any voice inflection to express my personality. I was just a croak and a monotone. 
all the time we were crying to God that His power would be demonstrated in human weakness. Well, I can honestly say that there was a far greater response that night than any other night. I've been back to Australia ten times now. And on every occasion, someone has come up to me and said, do you remember that night you lost your voice? I was converted that night. Isn't it wonderful to know that victory in life, that success in carrying out God's will, that problems that need to be solved, enemies need to be defeated, obstacles that need to be overcome, lives that need to be transformed, and souls that need to be saved. None of those things, isn't it wonderful to know that none of those things will ever be done because of your or my physical abilities? That should allow you to kind of rest a little bit. It's actually not about our personality. Our great voice, our great speaking ability, our great education, our experiences, all that we bring to the table, Jesus says, nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like John Stott, when we are sent to do things on behalf of the Lord, we're not even sure it'll work. But when it does work, when God does through us, what we know he could only have done. We know it has to be him. Sometimes in hindsight, we, we know it had to be the Lord. Then we'll be like the disciples. We'll be rejoicing, coming back with joy over the victory that God himself has secured. That's, that's what happens. We recognize that I had nothing to do with this. In our pride, we want to have something to do with it, don't we? But after you get defeated a few times, you're really glad that you have nothing to do with it. And you're more than well, then you're more than able to turn it all over the Lord and say, you do it. Not my voice, not my vehicle, not this, not that, not what's in the bank account. None of those things. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, Reasons to Rejoice. Reasons to Rejoice. We're just going to look at two from the text here this morning. Two reasons, and we'll look at a few sub-bullets, if you will, underneath. Two reasons that the text gives us here. One is our confidence, and two is our citizenship. And the second, Jesus says, is the greater, the far greater of the two. One, our confidence. Two, our citizenship. What is our confidence? What's our confidence when, when God has given us this incredible charge to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples of all men? Do you know how many people are on planet Earth? It's over 7 billion now, last, or somewhere in that range, last I saw. That seems like an undaunting task. Our missionaries that are in places like India and China, where there's over a billion people, it boggles their mind, how do we do it? Not to mention the many other daily things that present themselves to us that we're like, what do I do with this problem? And what do we do? 
we go to the Lord, don't we? See, our confidence is this. Jesus sends them out. They go out, they find out that demons are subject to the name and power of Jesus. Jesus tells them, not only that, but you'll be able to trample on scorpions, you'll be able to trample on snakes. Nothing will by any means hurt you in, the, in this earth unless I allow it. And so here's the confidence. Jesus has the authority over the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We don't live in any other realm. The physical realm, the spiritual realm. Spiritual realm, the physical realm. The two of them are always connected. Once you know the Lord, you, you see the connection between those two things because one pushes on the other. And we live in the physical realm, but we become aware of the spiritual realm, don't we? We worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus said that in John chapter 4. The time will come when the true worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit, in the spiritual realm. They'll actually be, you and I are stuck. Those of you that have aches and pains, you know you're stuck in the physical realm right now. But we don't only live in the physical realm. We walk with the Lord in the spiritual realm. And Jesus has control of both. Isn't that, isn't that great to know that the Lord, he showed his dominance over both. When he walked on water, what was he showing the entire world? The rest of you can't do this. The rest of you have no power. That's, I like to surf, I have to use a board, and it has to be enough power and force to be on top of a wave. Jesus, that's no big deal, I'll just walk on it. Walk on a single water drop if he wants. Power over the physical realm, but also power over the spiritual realm. The disciples, they find out for themselves that Jesus' name crushes the power of demonic forces in the enemy. They find this out for themselves. Now, they had, some of them had observed Jesus already casting out demons, not like some of them hadn't seen that. You and I haven't seen that. But they, some of them had seen this. But they come back rejoicing, knowing for themselves that it's 100% true, true that Jesus' name is over all the spiritual realm. The dark realm as well as the light. They now know for a fact that Jesus' authority was over anything that they could possibly observe on earth. His authority was over these things. My friend and mentor who comes, one of my mentors that comes here once a year, Sam Nadler, you guys know, our messianic brother. Uh, you'll remember his statement back in July. He says, our faith is always against the backdrop of doubt. Do you remember him saying that? Our faith is always against the backdrop of doubt. See, genuine faith isn't that you have no doubts at all. It's that you, even with those doubts, you move forward anyway. They weren't sure how this would go when they went out. The reason why they're so fired up is it went according to Jesus' plan. They come back, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Demons tremble at your name. He's like, really? I saw Satan fall like a lightning bolt. I was there. But for them... You're not going to believe this, Lord. 
We've been skipping all the way back here because demons are afraid of you. The disciples now knew for themselves that the name of Jesus was above the demonic realm. This has always been the case. But even the things that we know intellectually, God wants us to know that we know that we know it. And he wants to send us into things that sometimes will trouble us for a while, but when we come out of it, then we'll have joy and say, he's alive. Prayer works. Jesus actually heals. Nate, whatever it is. God wants us to experience personally who he is, personally his power. Let's look at the spiritual realm first. The spiritual realm As I mentioned, Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In the book of Isaiah, now those that knew the Old Testament, they would have known, remember the Torah, or the Tanakh if you take the entire, uh, from Genesis through Malachi, the Tanakh being all of the Old Testament scripture, the Torah being the first five books, although it can be inclusive of the whole Old Testament. Uh, But the Torah, the Tanakh, had already recorded the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan. In Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now, the Old Testament tells us of Satan being cast out. We also see in Revelation chapter 12, actually, Satan's called Satan, the dragon. He's called the serpent there in Revelation 12, where he also is thrown out of heaven. So Jesus is saying, yes, not only the demon subject to my name, but listen, guys, I was there when he got booted like a lightning bolt out. He's always been under my authority. And when I give the word, he's under yours too. Because he says, I give you authority. Verse 19. Now, this is very important that we remember that the authority, it's nothing to do with us. Remember in the book of Acts, a couple of people were trying to cast out demons. How did that go for them? They got the tar beat out of them by demons. Because we don't have any power over the demonic realm. But we humbly just get behind Jesus. That makes sense? Just get behind him. Because he has no fear of the demonic realm. It's a dark, powerful thing. I mean, Satan has a lot of power. Demons have a lot of power. I mentioned on Wednesday night, um, speaking of the demonic power, we were talking about and in Ezekiel 13, the occult and divination, and, and, and much of that is actually sweeping into the entertainment culture uh, in the United States. But just in the past uh, couple of weeks, Ray Comfort on his blog had posted about uh, the magician in Las Vegas who's performed there for years, the amazing Jonathan, who's been on the Leno show and all these things. And, and he suddenly is he's dying. Uh, I believe it's an incurable cancer. And he's dying. And uh, he, he got up and spoke before... Uh, an audience there in Las Vegas, and he wasn't being funny. He was being somber and told them all you know, his situation, that he's dying. That, uh, and he said, 
These are his exact words. He said, uh, there's something to be said for the worship of Satan. Because he talked about all the cars he has and the houses he has and all the wealth he has. And the demonic realm does have a, a measure of power, but it's very short-lived. Because your life is but a vapor, right? And Jesus says, my authority over the enemy is from everlasting to everlasting. But we need his power. We need the Lord. He's the only one. We saw there uh, in our study of Luke with the man of Gadara, Jesus cast out a man that's inhabited by thousands of demons. He's the only one. Everyone else was afraid to go anywhere near the place because he was ripping chains. I mean, the power of the enemy is real. If you're watching the news, you see the dark and diabolical things the enemy is doing that would cause you to shake in fear to the place that you might actually have a heart attack. I mean, the fear is real. And with very real darkness, we need very real light from heaven, don't we? And with very real dark power, the disciples and you and I need very real living power from the Lord Jesus, who's the only one who has power over the spiritual realm. The world around you may just think, it's weird how things get out there. No, it's not just weird. It's actually the forces of God versus the forces of evil. It's not just the news. It's not just things that happen by chance. There is a very real enemy that's fighting and warring against the souls of human men, and there's a very real Holy Spirit in us that's greater than he that's in the world. He has power over the spiritual realm. James 2.19, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. It's hard for us to look at, we see the wicked that takes places and the things that are people being beheaded and people being shot in the head for Christ and all that, and you realize, but Jesus says, or the scriptures say, that the demons are trembling. And all of this is because they fear what's coming to them. The day that Christ will cast death and hell into the lake of fire. He has power over the spiritual realm. They could have seen this already in the ministry of Jesus. They had seen this already in the ministry of Jesus. But it's one thing for you to read it in the Bible, and then when you walk by faith to experience it and say, wow, now I know what it's like to go into a dark... You know, we've gone into the youth correctional facility on some nights where we can sense, I mean, we can sense the power of evil there. Where it's been a night where everyone's been put into lockdown or something like that. And we hear the screams and the cursing and all the things that are taking place. And yet we've seen, when we start to share the gospel and start to read the word of God, we've seen the place get quiet. And people listen. And people's eyes get moist that before we're angry become softened. Jesus has the power over the spiritual realm. But when we walk in this world, the spiritual realm that's all around us, Leonard Ravenhill said this, understand, Christian, understand, church, that it never makes Satan real happy. Leonard Ravenhill said, every step you make in Jesus Christ enrages the devil. Every step you make in Jesus Christ enrages the devil. Now, if you don't want to make the devil upset, you don't have to do anything but just kick back. Because that doesn't bother him. He's generally not bothering anyone doing that. But if you want to 
do and go out like the 70, you're going to have to have the whole armor of God. You're going to be in a spiritual battle. You're going to feel the attacks. He's going to attack your flat tire. You're going to feel different things. This morning, my wife comes in, and the antifreeze has a whole, and all the, all the antifreeze went out. I think one of the guys is going to go out and get some for me in the middle of the service. Why? Wednesday night, I, could, I came in here. That message from Ezekiel 13, I told one of the elders, I said, I knew since Monday Satan did not want me to preach on Wednesday night because it was against the occult and against, uh, against the things that, that the enemy loves and rules over. And uh, my neck was bothering me for a couple days. The printer wouldn't work. All kinds of, I, I'm forgetting, like, there was like three or four things. I'm like, oh, we're going to preach this no matter what. <laughs> no matter what. This is when I know it must go down. God's still in control, isn't he? A Norwegian missionary by the name of Marie Monson in China, in the early, early 20th century, she testified to the intervention of God's angels when Christians were in great danger. They had taken refuge in the mission compound only to be surrounded by looting soldiers, and they were left astonished to find that these men left, and they were then left in peace. A few days later, the hostile men explained that they were about ready to break down the flimsy wall when they noticed tall soldiers with shining faces on a high roof in the compound. Marie Monson wrote, the heathen saw them. It was a testimony to them, but they were invisible to us. Jesus owns the spiritual realm. Yes, the demonic forces were pressing these men, go attack, go kill these Christians. And then God sends now, we wonder, God, why don't you do that every time? Show that to my neighbors. Show that to my coworker who just used your name in vain for the one millionth time. And I've tried to share with him, but God doesn't do it all the time. But when he does, it's another reminder. Jesus owns the spiritual realm, doesn't he? He could have called 10,000 angels for himself, but he didn't. But he could have. The demonic realm is under the feet of Jesus, and the angelic realm is at his beck and call. You hear that? The demonic realm is under his feet, and the angelic realm is at his beck and call, whether it's Michael, Gabriel, or shining men standing on top of a building in China that we know were angels. We know from the scriptures that God protects his people and he can do it supernaturally. He can send his ministering angels on our behalf. But he also can give the apostles or the disciples, he can give them the power to speak and the demons flee. And they saw for themselves, Jesus, your name. Your name is really, really powerful. But it wasn't just his name. They had to be in the right spirit themselves, didn't they? They had to be walking in purity. They had to be walking in humility. They had to be walking in obedience. I love that Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Isn't that great? That we don't have to be petrified of everything to know that God says, I'll crush him under your feet. Yeah, even the 110-pound little lady, Satan, under feet. The 
child that is newly saved under feet. The senior that has no more strength left in the body under feet. Isn't that great? There was not a caveat, and this is for the Spurgeons and D.L. Moody's of the world. No. It was for a bunch of feeble Roman Christians that were under the assault of the Roman government. He'll cross Satan under your feet, Paul writes. What about the physical realm? Jesus said, Behold, I give thee the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now this has overlap. When you look at scorpions and serpents in Revelation, uh, the demonic realm that comes out of the bottomless pit says they have stinging tails like scorpions. Satan himself is called what? That serpent of old. So there is the spiritual realm is connected here as well. But there was also the physical as well. Uh, in desert climates, if you've ever been anywhere where there's desert, you know, I've been to Mexico, I've been over there to, uh, to Israel, and wherever you have desert or hot areas, you can have scorpions, you can have poisonous snakes. Neither one are any fun. I haven't been bit by either or stung by either. I hope I never am. Right? I know people that uh, I, I know people that have gone on some of these trips and have woken up to see a scorpion on top of their chest. It's a pleasant thing to wake up to, isn't it? Those little things can kill you. And Jesus said, "But to carry, to carry out what I have given you to do, they're not going to be a problem for you. If need be, remember Paul got bit by a, ser a serpent." Shook it off. Matter of fact, they wanted to worship him immediately afterwards because he didn't die. Now, you do see these false, uh, you know, you ever seen this wacky stuff where the pastor's holding snakes and all that kind of stuff? That is, has nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. That's just dumb. And it, then it becomes, quite frankly, false religion. Uh, it's quite another thing to go and you're sharing the gospel deep in the heart of Algeria, and in the middle of the night a snake comes and God keeps it from biting you. And you never even knew it was in the tent. Right? That's what Jesus said. Those are the things. Now in the future, it has a future uh, uh, fulfilling as well. When you get to the millennium reign of Christ, scorpions and snakes will no longer be a problem anyway. Now, that'll be great. Kid can reach its hand down into a viper uh, den. Hey, come out and play. But Jesus says, in, in the execution of what I've asked you to do, you go and you do my will, anything that I have said won't harm you isn't going to harm you. The children of Israel, when they get up to the Red Sea, God says, if need be, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll take you straight through it. We'll drown. No, you won't. They'll drown, but you won't. He has power over all the physical realm. In Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He holds the mountains in his hands. Every year, hikers die climbing mountains. God holds the mountains. Every year, there's calamities all over the face of the earth. God causes the wind to blow on the earth. He owns the rain. He owns the wind. He owns it all. Jesus had the authority to tell the wind and the waves what? To be still. Paul 
They were shipwrecked. We're, there's no doubt we're going to die. Paul says we're not going to die. Well, there's one caveat. Don't get off the boat. There's not much of a left of a boat. Then hang on to whatever of it is left, and you'll survive. And they all survived. Because God says, whatever I allow in your life, storms, fiery darts, some bites, the loss of a job temporarily, different things, might be sickness. All of those things are in the physical realm, aren't they? Jobs, paychecks, bills, sickness, health, all of these things. And Jesus says, but those things, the enemy wants you to be afraid of them, but when I take you through them, you're going to look back and you're going to see a few dead scorpions and a few dead snakes along the way. Isn't that great? At first it looked like You'd never get through those areas, those desert places in our life. But the Lord has control over these things. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across the country on horseback. They'd come to a river which had broken its banks during a recent downpour. The swollen river had washed the bridge away. Each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback fighting for his life against the rapid and the currents. Well, the horse is doing most of the work, by the way. The very real possibility of death threatened each rider, which caused a traveler who was not part of their group to step aside and just watch. After several had plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger asked President Thomas Jefferson if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto the dry ground, one of the group asked him, Tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? The man was shocked, admitting he had no idea that was the president who had helped him. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer, no. And on some of them was written the answer, yes. His face was a yes face. The world around us is afraid of everything. And they're looking to Christians to know, do you have a yes, I believe in the power of Jesus face? Or no, I don't believe in the power of Jesus face. True? The world is looking to see, do you believe what you guys go there on Sunday and listen to? Or is it just something that goes in one ear and out the other, and you don't have any more faith? The world sometimes will call us on the carpet about what we really believe. You say you have faith? What are you doing to help the persecuted church? Well, nothing. Is it a yes face? Yes, Lord face. Or a No, not right now. Face. The pressure and the fears of both the spiritual realm and the physical realm, they can work on our minds. I want to just go quickly through seven things we can rejoice in and be confident regardless of opposition. You can write these down. Um, I'll move through them quickly. Seven things. It's not an exhaustive list. There's more than this in the Bible. But I've put seven down that you and I can be confident. You may need them this week. Maybe you need them today. One is... You can be confident. You can be confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is no power on the earth 
that can contend with the Holy Spirit. Amen? You can be confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the power of the Word of God. It really is powerful. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he do? It is written. Wow. Maybe you knew that and you've long forgot it. When you and I feel fear, when you and I are you know, going through things that are troubling us, speak it to ourselves, it is written. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is not just something to read in devos. It's something to remind ourselves later in the day, later in the week, in the dark of night. It's written. Number three, the presence of God. Hebrews 13.5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You and I will leave and forsake each other at times, and sometimes we have to say, we're sorry, would you please forgive me that I bailed. God will never bail on us. Amen? Husbands and wives sometimes bail on each other at the wrong time, at the worst times. God will never bail on us. Number four, the strength of God. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. If that's the only verse, you can stand on it. The Lord will give strength to his people. I love Isaiah 41, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary. See, sometimes your strength needs to be renewed altogether, right? Lord will give us strength. What happens when it's gone? Then he'll renew it. And sometimes it does go. Just like your checkbook sometimes. Sometimes it's down to nothing, right? The God that owns it all can renew these things. Renew our strength. Number five, the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. If you have survived at anything at all, you're already a living measure, a testimony of grace whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not. Grace got us here this morning. Amen? Grace has kept us alive. Grace has gotten us saved. Grace has opened up our eyes to truth. Grace has helped us to run from things that used to keep us in bondage. Grace. Grace keeps us going when we don't want to keep going. There's times we don't. His grace, Paul was really struggling with this thorn in the flesh. Deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient. And finally, he could settle on that. It goes back to the word of God. He could stand on that. Number six, the help of God. My favorite verse, if you want to call it a life verse, 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know whom I have believed in, persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. I have a guarantee, you have a guarantee of the help of God. Because what? He's able. There, there's nothing that God ever says, wow, I didn't think, I didn't anticipate that. And now I can help you with that one. He'll help us. He's able to keep that which we've committed. What have we committed? Well, we've committed to continue to follow him all the way until the last day on earth. And I can tell you, if it wasn't for God, I would have failed on that and left the faith long ago. How about you? 
There's a lot of little trinkets out there that are attractive to us. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of fears. There's a lot of peril. All of these things, and yet the only reason you'll never throw in the towel is because he is able to keep that which you've committed. He'll help you. Whom he adopts, he never throws out. Isn't that great? Number seven, the promise of God. Philippians 1.6 goes very well with number six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You mean it's going to happen? He'll complete it. He's never missed a deadline. He's never had anything. If he sends the 70 out, they're running back saying, you're not going to believe what happened. Villages got saved. And Jesus like, yeah, I, I planned it that way. And I knew that you guys who went out there all knees knocking, didn't think it could happen, would come back rejoicing, saying, your name is amazing. Your grace is amazing. Your Holy Spirit is amazing. Come to a close looking at our citizenship. Jesus makes this statement, though. He says, nevertheless, all of these things you have uh, been given power over, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Something greater. That the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There will never be a time when you can thank God too often or too much for your salvation. Because Jesus just gave it a paramount status above everything else. He says, the number one thing here, you rejoice because your names are written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, it makes everything else, Paul said it this way, that the suffering of this life are not to be compared to the future glory of heaven. It's very easy to live in comparing this world to heaven, but there is no comparison. We can't understand that because we don't live in the spiritual realm Jesus does. But he tells us your citizenship, the fact that it's already registered in heaven is greater than anything else. John 5, 24, I love, these, I, I, I love this passage. I love the next couple I'm going to read to you. But John 5, 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has current possession, has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death and life. Isn't that great? When Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Crucifixion didn't matter to him at that moment, did it? If you're dying on a cross, but Jesus turns to you and says, You'll be with me in paradise today. Do you want to live or just go straight to paradise? Not someone else saying it. I wonder if that's going to... Do I really have free tickets? Jesus, today, you'll be with me. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name has been on the guilty, uh, under the blotter of crimes committed, but not now. Now you'll be with me. Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear what Paul's saying? Our citizenship. I'm a U.S. citizen, yes, but this is not my home. I'm passing through. How about you? Citizenship is in heaven. You won't need Social Security check there. You won't need your 401k there. You won't need to have 
done a better job planning than your neighbor? Jesus does the planning. Hebrews 12, 22 through 25. I love this passage. If you haven't read this in a while, write down this passage. Hebrews 12, 22 through 25. Listen to this beautiful words written by possibly the Apostle Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I, I tend to think it was Paul, but he write, or whoever wrote it, write this. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to the God and judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood and the sprinkling that speaks of better things than Abel. Wow. You've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've been registered as the firstborn in heaven. This is not the Calvary Chapel folks, the Baptist folks, the Presbyterian folks, the Church of God folks. This is all the firstborn of heaven, innumerable angels. And the Lord wants us to know that if we're saved and we've been born again, we can trust that God has done the work. If you're a new creation, you should just rest in it and move forward. D.L. Moody said, now I find a great many people who want some evidence that they've accepted the Son of God. I love how D.L. Moody would put things. He said, my friends, if you want any evidence, take God's word for it. You can't find better evidence than that. You know that when the angel Gabriel came down and told Zechariah that he should have a son, Zechariah wanted further token than the angel's word. He asked Gabriel for it, and he answered. The angel said this, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord. He had never been doubted, and he thundered out this to Zechariah, who had wanted a further token, and Gabriel said, you shall have a token. You shall be dumb until you have a son. You wanted a token? You've got one. And the Lord wants us to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you're in control. I believe that you've saved my soul. I believe that you've transformed me and you've changed me. I have confidence in your power, confidence in your Holy Spirit, confidence in your word, and confident that you never renege on that which you give. Eternal life to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. When everything else is done, our names in heaven will be all that will matter. You're not taking anything with you. There's nothing here on this earth that will survive other than a saved soul. Nothing else. Nothing else is coming along for the ride. Just the name or those that have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. As I mentioned, the thief on the cross, he took nothing with him. He had nothing to take, but Jesus took him with him. He didn't have anything to take, but Jesus took him. I want to close with um, a testimony that I heard um, this, earlier this week. Uh, I told you I uh, got together with a group of pastors, uh, Calvary Chapel Pastor, North Carolina and Virginia, on um, Monday and Tuesday. And, and I roomed with uh, um, Terry Sartain, who's the pastor down in Charlotte, Calvary Chapel in Charlotte, North Carolina, which I knew Terry when I used to live in Charlotte, and we've had a chance to see each other a couple times in the last couple of years, but he told, we, were, we, were, we were in this little room with 
fireplace and about, about seven to ten of us as pastors, we were talking about hospital visits, just different things that have gone in the last, you know, six, seven, ten, however many years they've been in ministry of just visiting hospitals and pastors that are really comfortable with it, pastors that are not so comfortable with it. Everybody has things they're comfortable with. Just you do, we do, and, uh, but just different things take place, and we're all just kind of sharing different testimonies. And Terry shared one that blew me away, and it speaks to both our confidence and our citizenship, because our citizenship's all that's going to matter, but we need to have confidence in the Lord to go and do things that don't seem like humanly they make sense or working. And he told him when he was living in Los Angeles in Southern California, um, or not Los Angeles, he would think he was down at Mike McIntosh's church in uh, San Diego, Horizon Christian Fellowship. And he was um, already in ministry, involved with evangelism, doing things with the church staff, but he also still had a part-time job, and he was a supervisor. And he had this one, uh, he had this one young lady who worked for him, and she said, I need you to go visit my mom in the hospital because she is dying She's withering away to nothing, and she does not believe in Jesus, and I need you to go uh, share with her. And so Terry reluctantly said, all right, it, it, but she doesn't want any visitors. No, she doesn't want any visitors. So why are you sending me? Because I think you can get through to her. So Terry prays and everything. He goes there, and he goes to the hospital, and he, and he, and he tries to come in there, and he knocks, and, say, you know, and I don't remember the, the lady's name, but he says, hey, I, I'm... I'm with, uh, I'm with the church, I'm with Horizon Christian Fellowship, I'm, I just want to just kind of come and pray with you. I don't want anyone to pray with me. Get out of here. Who sent you? Your daughter did. Well, tell her not to send you anymore and get out of here, and I mean it. She cussed him out, and he leaves. So he tells her the next day, she says, how to go with my mom? Well, not well. Your mom's every bit as snappy and mean as you told me she was. Well, you need to go back. I can't go back. She told me not to come back. She goes, no, no, you've you got to go back. You've got to go back. Please, Terry, go back one more time. I know she'll listen. So he's like, all right, all right, all right I'll, go, I'll go again. He goes back. Same thing happens, but worse. She yells, get this man out of my room and all this kind of stuff. She goes, I, do, I don't want anything to do with your God, your Jesus, your Bible. Get out of here. I don't care if my daughter sent you. He goes back, and she says, how'd it go? Worse than the first time. Your mom... <laughs> Wants nothing. Look, I tried. I went there. I had my Bible. I had the most humble look on my face. I did everything I could. She wants nothing. And she goes, you got to go one more time. You've got to go one more time. I, I, I just know she's going to listen to you. And he said, you're kidding, right? She, she convinced him to go one last time. So he gears up. He goes one last time. Goes into our knock, she goes, Oh, it's you again. All right, go ahead and sit down. Whatever it is you got to tell me, go ahead and tell me, because apparently you're not going to keep coming here until you tell me what's on your mind. Go ahead, get your little Bible out. Oh, and she says, Before you do, I want to show you something. She said, Reach in that drawer. He opens the drawer. She has all these pictures when she was young and beautiful on a motorcycle, doing all, and she's like, See, I didn't always used to look like this. She's telling, I didn't always look like this. And so he realized that the Holy Spirit had been working. So he begins to share with her, and she begins to just weep. She gives her life to Christ right there on the spot. She said, look, now I know. He says, you know what? She goes, now I know that Jesus really is real. My sins are forgiven, 
and I can die in peace and be in heaven. What made the change? What made the change? The authority of the name of Jesus. You go in the name of Jesus, you fail. You didn't really fail. Every time you go in the name of Jesus, you actually haven't failed. See, Satan wants you to convince that you failed. It didn't work. You went, she said no, case closed, but her mouth was saying no, but her heart was saying, please come back. Isn't that the difference? Jesus said, whenever I send you somewhere, you're going to know that the demonic world's going to convince you they're in charge, and I'm going to tell you I'm in charge. And when I get through to a heart, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? Confidence, our citizenship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your name has the power over sin, over death, and over hell. And I just want to ask, Lord Jesus, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, you would just convict their hearts, and they would call upon the name of the Lord. If you're here this morning, just as our heads are bowed, and you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've never asked him to cleanse you from sin. Raise your hand right where you're at and say, I, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. You can do it right where you're at. Just raise your hand. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe everyone here is already saved. Praise the Lord. And we can walk in confidence and we can walk knowing that our citizenship is in heaven. But if there's anyone at all, say, Lord, I, I, that's not me. If Jesus were to come back, I wouldn't be ready. Raise your hand. I want you to, as the men come and they're going to pass out the elements, we're going to take a Lord's Supper to close this morning. Just take a moment to thank Jesus that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The men can come up and distribute the elements.